Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. From D2 to D3. With J.T. Mitchell. Best in sports reports. Listen here. Throughout the year. A wild weekend across the Division II and Division Three football scene with you, J.T. Mitchell. And this is From D2 to D3. Thanks so much for tuning in today. So, yes, we do have an update on the suspensions being dished out in the aftermath of this Delta State Chawan brawl that rocked the Internet on Saturday night. But first, as always, this episode is brought to you by Eve's Law Firm. No matter what you're going through, it never hurts to have a great attorney on your side. And that's exactly what the people at Eve's are. Call them now at 601-355-7961. Go to their website at eveslaw.com. Or if you live in and around the Jackson Metro, you can roll right over to their downtown office on the corner of Capitol and State Streets. And while we're here, if you want to be a part of From D2 to D3, we'd love to have you on as a sponsor. Contact me directly at 601-502-5451. Text, call, voicemail. You can even email me at jtmitchell at supertalk.fm. We'd love to get you involved and promote your company through Mississippi's newest home for Division II and Division Three sports coverage. So back to the matter at hand, if you didn't see this brawl between Delta State and Chawan Saturday night, you got to go watch it. Go to supertalk.fm. You can find it there. Lots of different angles on the website. And you'll probably end up like me watching it 20 different times. I mean, every time you watch a different part of it, you'll see something else going on. Players being earholed, refs being toppled, helmets being swung by players and even fans. I mean, this was a brawl like no other. Uh, Kind of reminds me, not as bad, but kind of reminds me as uh, of the malice at the palace. In the videos, you can see members of both the Chawan team and crowd really getting after Delta State players. And, And the good news is that no one, to my knowledge, was injured. That is first and foremost. However, this was not your typical football fight. No doubt, fights happen in football. It's a physical game. There's a lot lot of adrenaline, 18 to 22-year-old kids on the college level, and it typically happens between a couple of players here and there. But from watching it on both the live stream and then going back to watch it over and over again, 
What I came away with from all this is that this is a program issue for Chawan. This was not Delta State. Not at all. I I think Coach Cooley hit the nail on the head yesterday when he said he felt his players and coaches did a good job restraining. They really did. If you see the videos, it's mostly Chawan players. There's some Delta State fans, some Delta State players stuck over there on the sideline where the brawl is taking place. But restraining is really tough to do in a situation like that. You see some of your own getting literally beat. A close-up video showed tight end Adam Duncan being pinned against the fence and just getting swarmed by Chawan players and fans. That would be hard for me to sit back and not go over there and throw a few punches to help my team, my family. So props to Coach Cooley, his staff, his players for showing that restraint, that control. I think Delta State did the right thing, and that restraint resulted in Delta State having zero suspensions As the conference pretty much made it clear in Monday's announcement, this wasn't Delta State's fault. GSC officials are handing down six suspensions, all to Chuan players. One of those will be for the rest of the season, and then an additional suspension to a non-team individual, which means a fan. That fan will not be allowed at home games for the rest of the year. And I'll be straight with you, I I think that punishment is light. The conference is, yes, they're also making Chuan conduct a game management and security review to see if they can fix their issues. But I think Michael Borky of Sports Talk Mississippi said it right yesterday. How do you let this team take the field again in just a few days? From what I watched and from what I've heard from people close to the situation, this is clearly a program issue at Chuan, and it needs to be fixed. I mean, look at Shaw High School. That's a situation that's not nearly on this level, but is a little similar that we have right here in the state on the high school level. Shaw High School in the Mississippi Delta. Last Thursday, a fight broke out between Warrior teammates there. The school district quickly swooped in, suspended football operations for the time being. And I'm not saying I agree with all the decisions being made surrounding that specific situation, but what that does tell me is that a school district in Mississippi gets the point. They need to fix the program issues and teach these kids to be men, but a college program does not. That's baffling to me. So come on, man. I mean, we'll see if Chawan hands out any self-inflicted punishments, but I won't believe it until I see it. Also worth noting that Delta State did win the game. When the brawl broke out, there was just four minutes and some change left to play. The Statesmen were up 42-18. to 18. Of course, refs called the game and sent Delta State home with the victory. All in all, it was just a really long weekend for Delta State. Coach Cooley told us beforehand they were bussing it. It's about 15 hours to Murfreesboro, North Carolina, and I think they were staying north of there, somewhere in Virginia, and then Saturday rolled around, there was a lightning delay, they finally got to play, got off to a slow start, before putting the burners on and pulling away with the game, then the brawl happened, then they had to stay another night, I assume, so Delta State did not get back to Cleveland until about 10-15 Sunday night. So no suspensions for Delta State, which is what Coach Cooley actually anticipated. Uh, Let's check in with him and see what he had to say about the situation in his weekly press conference Monday afternoon. This is is a tough thing, okay? Because when you sit there, and and I didn't realize 
everything that was going on. I just knew that it was going on away from my sideline, and I was trying to get my guys back. That's all I was trying to do. It's tough, man. That's our team. That's our family over there. When I go back and look at the videos, you know, I hope I did the right thing. Uh, but I also got to explain to my team, you know, a couple young men that were left over there, and that's that's what I'm struggling with. I'll be honest. I, I've struggled with it all the way home. I'm still a little struggling with it. Um, you know, because you preach family, 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 and team sports, you got to have your teammates back. You have your teammates back, you know. And, yeah, we didn't, we didn't leave the bench. But the question is, did we really have our teammates back? That's, that's what I'm struggling with, Stephen. And I can tell you that. You and I have known each other a long time. And you know me. I'm going to be honest up here. That's what I'm struggling with. Uh, thank God nobody was hurt. Tough situation, man. Tough day. Absolutely tough day. I'm going to leave it. A lot of things could have been done differently. He said it right. I, I really like that response from Coach Cooley. He has his team's back while also worries if he made the right decision by restraining all of his players and leaving a few guys stranded on the Chuan sideline. I think fighting Okra fans' responses are a little more on edge, and that's okay. Uh, they're probably already circling the date on their calendar. hasn't been released yet, but getting ready for next fall when Chawan does come to play in Cleveland. And just for context, sake. Chawan is making a quick pit stop in the Gulf South Conference. This was their first ever GSC game and it ended in a brawl. That's crazy man. Um, in 2025 Chawan will become full-time members of the Conference Carolinas. So this is really a program that Delta State probably won't have to worry about this time a few years down the road. Continuing with some more audio from Coach Cooley. He said let's put this brawl behind us. What's done is done and now it's time to get ready ready for D1 FCS Mississippi Valley State as they come into town this weekend. Yeah, well, they know us. They know us inside out. I mean, you talk about him. You're talking about their D coordinator, Jesse Thompson, who used to coach here. You're talking about Zane Samuel, who played here and coached here. Uh, all those guys are on their staff. Uh, so, yeah, they, they know our program pretty much inside and out. It's going to be great to see Kendrick. Uh, we, we talk about it every other day. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's a real good friend, and I'm, I'm really proud of what he's doing down there. You know, uh, he's doing things the right way. And I think that's evident, you know. Uh, I know he's upset. They, they felt like they should have, and I felt like they should have won their first game. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to be friendly and all that. But, I mean, he wants to win. We want to win. And that's, that's, you know, it's good competition against, you know, two guys that I think are, he and I are really, really close. So um, looking forward to it, to competing against him also. And I uh, just can't say enough about, how excited I am for him and his opportunity down there. How huge is this going to be for the guys to just get back in front of their home crowd and have the uh, home field advantage? Well, you know, I hope we do. I I hope we do. I'm going to tell our fans right now, Valley's coming to this one. I hope we have the home field advantage, you know. Um, I think we will. I think it's it's just going to be a great night for the Delta, just to be honest with you. I mean, two good schools playing one another. Um, just a great night. You know, a lot of our players know them. Their players know us. We've got two or three players that were on my team last year that are down there playing for them now. So a lot of familiarity with both of us. Um, and hopefully we can just come out, compete the right way, and, and make it just a really good night for the Delta. That's, that's what I'm hoping. Really good night for Cleveland. 
and and the whole delta. That's what that's what me and K Wade have talked about that real, like a lot of times since he took the job. We're hoping everybody comes in there, we sell it out, everybody has a great time, and they see a good football game Saturday night. I think that'd be an awesome night. Beautiful weather, be great. Hopefully, there's no rain delays, lightning delays. I've been through that. I've had enough of that. Coach, what are some of the challenges that you see on film uh, defensively for Valley? Just, just, just how good and how how big and where they're at. I mean, they're just they're they're sound. You know, they don't they don't they're not out of place. You know, I'll just be honest. Last year, I thought Valley was was out of place at times when we played them. Not not this year. They're doing a good job. They're very they're really solid. Uh, they tackle well. You know, um, they do a really good job in their twist game up front. Got D linemen that are that are big. Um, their linebackers are good. Their their secondary runs to the ball really well. Uh, so, I, you know, we got our hands full. We got our hands full with their defense, no doubt about it. Offensively, they're doing so much stuff, and they're doing it with tempo. And you know, they're they're running the quarterback, which uh, as always, that's tough on a defense. So, uh, yeah, a lot of problems, man. A lot of things we got to address. And like I said, we're we're behind already. The beginning of that clip says a lot about the Delta State coaching tree, which we've touched on a couple of times throughout this show. It's unreal. If Delta State does beat Valley this weekend, the Statesman will join a short list of D2 schools to beat FCS schools this season. Off the top of my head, that includes Week 1, Bowie State defeated Delaware State, and Virginia State stunned Norfolk State. And by the way, that was a bizarre ending. I'll actually share that Virginia State, Norfolk State ending on my Twitter slash X at JT Mitchell Radio. In other Gulf South Conference news, West Georgia made a big announcement last Friday. The Wolves are planning to move up to the Division One level, effective July 1, 2024. They'll be a member of the Atlantic Sun Conference, and this is a big loss for the Gulf South Conference. UWG has been members since 1983. They've won 11 basketball titles, two football championships, at least one title and eight other sports. Additionally, West Georgia has produced six NCAA D2 regional titles in five different sports. That's since 1998. So a big loss for the GSC. And it makes you wonder if schools like West Alabama, West Florida, or Val State will follow suit. I do think that Delta State and Mississippi College or more aligned with what the GSC stands for and plays for. But who knows? I mean, Delta State or MC could pop up to D1 one of these days. We'll see. So the A-Sun will include West Georgia in 2024. It will also include Kennesaw State, Florida Gulf Coast, Austin P. Conference realignment is not going away, guys. I tell you that, and it's even seeping down to the Division II level. So Mississippi College blew their lead Saturday against Midwestern State. The Choctaws were up 17-14 to after three before giving up 16 unanswered in the fourth to lose 30-17, to and it was just a tough loss. MC is now 1-1 one one on the year. They, they just got to get their offense figured out. I know they have a new offensive coordinator. They're trying to move toward this triple option spread hybrid kind of offense. 
and you can tell that they're still trying to work through some stuff. The defense has been assuring this season through seven of the eight quarters, but they just couldn't hold it together on Saturday night as Midwestern did come away with the win. And by the way, this Midwestern State team I don't think is a bad team. They started last season ranked, and they stumbled to what I believe was a 6-6 six and six record. This year, they lost to a now-ranked Colorado State Pueblo in Week 1. Then they beat MC, so we'll just have to see. I think, I think Midwestern State is a pretty good team. I think Mississippi College still has a lot to work towards this season, and the Choctaws will be back in action this Saturday against West Georgia at home. That's a 7 o'clock kickoff in Clinton. Uh, the one game I went to over the weekend was Millsaps hosting McMurray. This was the Majors home opener, and in the first quarter I honestly thought they looked better than they did against Bellhaven. That was a bad loss. In the first quarter against McMurray, they were tackling a little lower, something they didn't do against the Blazers. That was one of the main takeaways I had from the Riverside Rumble, was in goal line situations, I saw too many Millsaps players hitting up high. You got to get low. Um, in the opening quarter against McMurray, they forced a safety, but they just couldn't keep up. McMurray went on to win 53-2. to That's safety, obviously the only score of the day. The majors were without star linebacker Donald Turley, and I'm not too sure what his injury status is going into this weekend at Sewanee, who the Tigers actually did come away with their first road victory in five seasons. Should be a pretty good game up there on the mountain. Bellhaven handled business against Lion. I wish Lion, I wish their mascot was the Lions, the Lion Lions, but it's not. It's the Scots. They defeated the Scots 48-15. to The Blazers barely had to pass the ball. Their run game is just phenomenal. Devin Daniels and Colby Blunt each eclipsed that 100-yard mark as quarterback Tim Johnson had four total touchdowns, two of which were on the ground. So here's my bone to pick for the day. I think D3Football.com is shafting Bellhaven so far this season. I know before the year, one or maybe a couple of their columnists picked the Blazers to be a playoff team, but so far they still have not put Bellhaven in the top 25. After the Riverside Rumble, Bellhaven got one vote for the poll. After this past weekend's win over Lyon, they got two votes for the poll. It's honestly disrespectful. Bellhaven is a top 25 team. I've watched them. I've talked to their coach. I think they are undoubtedly a playoff caliber team. And who knows, maybe D3Football.com will finally put them into the top 25 after they beat Greensboro in a couple of weeks. Bellhaven has a bye this Saturday. So that's kind of your football roundup from the D2 and D3 slates. What we're going to do for the rest of the episode is catch up with a couple of guests. We'll start with Jennifer Claybrook, the athletics director at the W. See what all is going on in Columbus as the new school year sets in. Then we'll head over to Hunter Dawkins, publisher of the Gazebo Gazette, out of Pass Christiane. This should be a really interesting conversation. Hunter wants to talk about the two D2 football championships Mississippi has seen, 1989 Mississippi College, later vacated, and 2000 Delta State, and what coastal connections helped those teams win it all. Okay, so we'll be right back with From D2 to D3. Jennifer Claybrook is on the other side. 
All right, we're back with From D2 to D3. I'm your host, J.T. Mitchell. And on the other line, we have Jennifer Claybrook, Athletic Director at the Mississippi University for Women, a.k.a. the W. We're going to talk about everything that's going on in Columbus as a new school year sets in. But first off, hey, Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for the interview. Absolutely. And before we really dive into everything you got going on, I want to give listeners more of a little glimpse into who you are. So prior to accepting the AD position at the W in 2021, you spent a good while at your alma mater, LaGrange College, where you served in a variety of positions, one of which was AD. Uh, What led into the decision to come to the W? Just how did all of that play out? Oh, well, you know, timing is everything. So it was it was a good time in, in our lives. Um, so I was at LaGrange for a good long while. And just personal, I don't know how to answer it other than honestly. Personally, um, my husband's uh, uh, mother and father had been in very poor health um, for a long time. And then my family was close to LaGrange. So the idea to stay in LaGrange um, wasn't... Uh, it wasn't something we discussed. Mm-hmm. We just stayed because we wanted to take care of his family. And I did love Division Three. I loved what I was doing. So don't don't just miss right. that. But um, unfortunately, you know, his, his his parents passed away, and when that happened, um, we also had a change in leadership um, at Lagrange College, which is great. It was awesome. Um, but I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to look at other places. And when I read about the W, oh, it sounded so, and it is, um, what it would be a challenge going from, um, they were in this USCAA conference and they were trying to go into the SLIAC and they were trying to go into Division Three, and I'd had a little experience with that. And um, we were rebuilding the women's sports and building the men's sports. Uh, the president, uh, Nora Miller, is just a phenomenal leader. And the size of the school intrigued me, the average age of students. It's kind of like we have this campus of uh, just a great mixture of people, very diverse people, but also diverse in their ages and experience. And, um, and we reached a lot of first-generation students, and we have a lot of support systems. And I thought... We can be very successful. You know, I just thought, gosh, what an opportunity to uh, lead a phenomenal uh, department and be part of this this university that is so passionate about students and empowers students and forward thinking and um, inclusive and, and just it's just been a wonderful experience. So I that that this has been one of the best decisions I've made with the come to the W. Well, we're glad to have you in Mississippi, and you have had a handful of challenges since taking over the AD role, and good challenges, I'd say. Um, one of which is helping the W fully attain Division Three membership status, and that went into effect just a couple of weeks ago, right? That is correct. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. I'm, I'm so excited about it. Um, yes, that was a uh, that was a labor of love. Um, we are just we. I I led us through year two and three, um, and we were able 
what we do is you just provide a, a lot of documentation. You have to go to several leadership events, uh, professional development events, meet with a mentor, um, FAR, and um, an AD. Um, our FAR, Dr. Chad Murphy, was instrumental and and so active. Um, Dave Byer, who's our director of athletic communications, took all the information and put it together in an easy format to read and review. Daniel Talley is our compliance director, and he put together. But it was it, it, it's information that we have to collect across campus from financial aid. Um, you know, to admissions and what they want to make sure we're doing is, is live in the mission of Division Three, and that our student athletes are, are are treated just like every other student, which they have access to all the same scholarships, all the same financial aid if they if they meet those requirements. Um, it's not taking anything away from our students; it's just making sure that they're not. Um, treated, you know, better right. than our students are, you know, and so it took the entire campus to put this, um, this report together. It was over 2000 pages where you answer and then you provide documentation. I'd hate to be the person so, who had to read that. Yes, yes, yes. Well, they have several, you know, they have several, so they just split it up. But, <laughs> but yes, we, you know, and then you get really, you feel really proud about, well, as you're providing this documentation, um, you're realizing that you are really, uh, you know, you're really committed to these students and, and, and ensuring that they're successful, not only at Division Three and for our SLAC conference, but 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 in life, you know. So it's, I'm just so passionate about it, and uh, thank you for bringing that up. That again, that was that was something that it took everyone on this campus uh, to complete, and everyone had a hand in it and um, was excited was excited to get it completed and get the nod on September 1st that we were full members of Division Three. For sure. So yeah. what is different between now and this time last year in terms of now having that full uh, D3 status? <laughs> I'd say my stress level. <laughs> uh, oh, goodness. Um, yeah. So we got that oh, one gosh, down. The inter- stress levels are up. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So um, I would say that um, we, you know, it's just so exciting. Um, enthusiasm. You're a part of the NCAA Division Three. You're a part of the SLIAC because everything was was um, hinging on that report, our membership in D3, our, our membership in the SLIAC. So there was a lot of pressure to get that in and prove that we were doing what we say we were doing. And so now we're in it. And so we're going through, again, continuing that mission, being supportive of our student, student athletes and making sure that they have this, this full experience. They get all the support systems they need academically, um, athletically, per, um, giving them the opportunities to compete at a high level, um, look great, feel great, have the proper medical staff around them and um, I don't. It's a lot of them do things. We're going to brand now. We're going to brand all over the place. Division three, SLIAC, us. Um, yeah. So it's just really. I mean, I I believe it's just really exciting. People are taking every competition very seriously. They know that we're preparing for those conference games and that we're preparing, you know, to win conference. What we hope. I know it's it's our first year, um, but we're. You know, you got to prepare for, for this. You yep. got to believe. You got to believe you're going to do those things, and 
and so we're we are um, preparing and excited and having you know rallies together um, on the 23rd September 23rd in between the volleyball match the second volleyball match and the third we're going to actually welcome our commissioner we'd love for the 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 community to come out Um, it's no charge it's a whiteout and we're just we're looking to celebrate membership in division three and in the SIAC so it should be a fun day Um, t-shirts pom-poms uh, free food for like the first hundred people that come through the the gate. So, um, I hope people will come. Free food always helps. I know, especially college students. They don't love that free food. Yep. And this one might be more of a passion project uh, rather than a challenge. But one one thing that you've done is you helped launch or led the launch of the W Athletics Hall of Fame. Y'all inducted your first ever class this past spring, headlined by basketball great Dot Easterwood. Can you tell us a little more about that? Absolutely. Um, so, um, and I do want to give a, a nod to Dave Byer. He was certainly instrumental in, in putting everything together. And then, of course, the committee, who is part of the Hall of Fame. But one of the first things I realized, um, I was reading, um, we had five fat, formal faculty members who also, um, you know, did swimming, gymnastics. I mean, they just, they coached volleyball, all softball, all these things. Um, and I was reading their book. It's called The Legacy of the Blues. And what a rich tradition of competitive sport in, at the W in Division Two. And so as I was reading this, and Dave was reading as well, and we both, you know, we're looking around, we're like, you know, why don't we have a Hall of Fame? That, that's interesting to me. Um, but certainly we should, we should do that. And um, so then we just put together a proposal and, you know, got the proper people to to approve it. And then it was really fun because we had, you know, our 1971 team that won the national championship and they beat some huge Division One teams along the way. And, and then, like you said, Dot Easterwood, I mean, Dot Easterwood Murphy and it was just such an incredible class. Jill Upton, um, who was a longtime coach for us. And so that was our first class, that the, the national championship basket, women's basketball team, and then um, Dot and Jill on their own, and then the women who wrote The Legacy of the Blues, because, like I said, um, Dorothy Burdishaw, you know, led the the physical education um area and um, at the W and I don't know these women are so strong and powerful and humble and kind and and we had our student athletes there to watch the induction and they spoke from their heart and about how athletics had helped shape their lives not only their friendships but how to react to adversity how to motivate others how to be leaders how to step back and let others lead I, and so grateful for the W. Just so many wonderful stories about how, um, while they were playing for the national championship at our campus, they would keep a candle lit because they wanted them to know that we. They were constantly thinking about them competing, and they were supporting them. And it was just beautiful. And I, I was so grateful to be a part of that because there's so much love for the W and that experience. And that's important for me because that's what I want our 
our students, not just our student athletes, but I want our students to feel that kind of love and passion and support. And so I can't wait till we get the next class. We haven't selected that yet. Um, but it, it, oh yeah, it is a labor of love and, and passion and, and uh, what, how grateful to be on this side of it, to be able to just thank the people who came before us and set us up for success. And, and you know, I'm just so grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, and that's got to be super inspiring to current student-athletes. That could be you one day in the W Athletic Hall of Fame. Um, I know you said you haven't chosen or you guys have not chosen the next class. Uh, when should we expect another class to be inducted? We we had initially thought we would go every two years, mm-hmm. but we had such a great um, – it was just such a great experience we were considering – do we want to go ahead and do another class this year? So that is on the... Because the history is so rich. You can go ahead and knock in a couple more, right? Right, right. And so that's what we... Yeah, that's what we're discussing now is can we go ahead and do another class and not have it be every two years? So we're we're talking about that. We certainly have very deserving and many, many student athletes, former student athletes, coaches, administration, community members who would certainly... Um, you know, qualify, you know, more than qualified to be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm, I'm hoping we can steer the committee and we can go ahead and get another class. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah. So, so moving back to present day, the school year's here, the athletic year is in full force, um, and you guys have a lot of sports going on right now. Um, we've been keeping up with it from our side, but kind of give the listeners a rundown of what all is going on right now on campus. <laughs> Yes, it's a, it's a pretty busy fall. So not only do we have your traditional men's and women's soccer, women's volleyball, men's and women's cross country. We also have men's and women's golf happening. They're at Laterno right now competing. And we have men's and women's tennis um, competing. There's a lot, yeah. Um, that's that, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And so, and, and we'll get into conference play not this weekend, but the following weekend for, I know, men's and women's soccer um, and probably volleyball as well. So uh, it's, it's close. We're getting all of those non-conference games out of the way. We're getting, we're learning our teams, uh, discovering how to motivate them, um, how, what, what things we need to work on so that we're very prepared for our first in conference competitions. And some accolades have already started rolling in. I saw on the volleyball side returning All-American Madison Suggs. She was named the Conference Defensive Player of the Week the first week they gave out the award this year. Olivia Derbyshire, uh, Women's Golf, she was the Conference Player of the Week as well. There's a lot going on. So as we continue on, going back to your past just a bit, you, before becoming an athletic director, were a super successful softball coach as well. I mean, I, ha- I have it listed here, 10 USA South Championships, 14 NCAA tournament appearances. How does being a former coach play in and help out with your role as AD at the W? Yes, um, that's a great question. I don't think people realize how much work it is to be a collegiate coach, to be a university coach. And you're on the bus, you know, you're on the bus 16 hours at the weekend sometimes for these, for these conference play opportunities. Um, you're watching film, you're meeting with the strength coach, you're conducting practices, you're doing research to make sure that you're, you're as up to date 
with um, the strategy, with the new, you know, the current student athletes that are coming in. You're, you're checking the student athletes' grades. You're making sure that they're going to class. You're making sure that they're um, scheduling time to study, to get tutoring. Um, you know, keeping their time management, encouraging them to be in other organizations and be and just have that full experience. And I think it was really important um, that I, I coached as long as I did because I, I know, you know, what, what kind of commitment I know how important those relationships are between the coach and the student athlete. And the other thing is that I've had a few opportunities since I've got to the W to be able to, to, to spend time with other teams. And that's always a good refresher. Uh, what I would love is for you know, community members or faculty members that would like to just have a, a day in the life of our student athlete or the day in the life of our coach, like really come out and see how committed we are to our academics, to our athletics, and to our communities. We really want to make positive impact on everyone, but but it does take a lot of time out of the coach's day, and, and I'm constantly telling them to remember to take time for themselves, to, um, you know, have some self-care, spend time with their family, spend time alone and just whatever you need to do to re-energize, recharge your battery and make sure that they're, again, (laughs) I'm the coach's coach. So I'm like, you know, make sure you're eating right. You're getting plenty of rest and, you know, communicate with me because if there's something that is is bothering you or something that you need me to help with, I'm happy to do it. And, and Buddy Foster's our assistant athletic director and he had been in Division One, but also Division Three, and so he's brought a wealth of of knowledge, and he is really a go-to person for our staff as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it was instrumental, um, you know, being a coach before to really understand some of the things that they're going through, some of the challenges, but also some of the incredible moments that they're getting to be a part of and they're leading. I mean, it's just a, it's a great day. You know, it's a great opportunity. Well, I think some of the best ADs, they fit all three modules, being a player, being a coach, and then being in the administrative role. I, I really love the idea of a day in the life of a student athlete or a day in the life of a coach. That could be eye-opening to some. I, I, I think so, um, because I don't know. I don't know what everybody thinks um, coaches do. What, what I know is it's long days mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and many weekends and many nights and it's a lot of training. It's a, it's a great deal of passion. Um, and, and I, but I think they would love it because the other component of it is the student athletes, you know, that they're brilliant and they're amazing. And they work so hard and they balance their schedule because they want to excel in academically as well as athletically. And I think that, you know, those who come, come around would be so, impressed by the professionalism and it just what we do to prepare but also and how to support how we support our students so yeah I, i'm really excited we've, we've just started some discussions with our staff and um and so we're we're hoping we can launch that pretty soon because i i do feel like that would bring our campus closer together and and really have a better understanding of what our student athletes do and what our, our coaches do and how we are dedicated to every facet 
of the university experience. Yeah, and one thing that people don't realize, that even on the D3 level, being a student athlete is a full-time job. You still have classes, social life, but you're an athlete at the same time. I think it'd be a great program to implement. All right, so moving on here, um, I'm biased, of course. I, I think that <laughs> Division Three is a really special level of college athletics. You talk about in a couple weeks, you'll be having the commissioner come in. Um, that's a great time for the community, for students, for faculty to come out to a sporting event. But what else would be your pitch to someone listening now as to why they should come out for a game, match, whatever it is, at the W this school year? Oh, it's exciting. It's exciting. I, 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 don't, I don't know that people realize that the, the fan involvement, the competition, the high-level competition, um, the competitive nature of our student-athletes, our coaches, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, great sportsmanship. We're going to always have great sportsmanship. You know, we're going to cheer for our team, not against the other one. And I, I think they would be pleasantly surprised because I don't know that everybody understands Division Three or has that um, much experience with it, but it's a really fast-paced, strategic uh, you know, gifted, talented student athletes, gifted, talented coaches, and it's a really great you know product. If you want to just say that, I mean, it is. It's fun to watch. I think if you come out and you see how hard our student athletes play and the level of focus and um, skill, I think they would just they would really embrace uh, the university and our department and and want to come to more. You know, so that that would be my pitch is come and come three times, you know, just come three times to, to a sporting event and see if you don't get hooked, you know, because yeah. it, it is, it, it's so fun to watch them. Again, like I said, the skill is there, the passion is there, the strategy is there. I think anybody could appreciate and really love what they what they see at the W. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've said yeah. repeatedly on this show is that even at the Division three level, Division two level, and of course the D1 level, every kid on those teams was the best, if not one of the best, on their high school teams. It's serious competition. Um, so I also agree. Go to three games. Uh, last question here, Jennifer. So the university is currently feeling out a possible name change, considering it's been co-ed since 1982. Some of the top options from a recent survey were the University of Northern Mississippi, which I really like, Callaway State, Weathersby State. What kind of role, positive or negative, would a name change play when it comes to the athletic department? Well, for, for us, again, I just want to say that I've, I've met a good number of uh, graduates of the W, and they they are so passionate about their experience and they're, they're so grateful to the W for empowering them and leading them and giving them the opportunities. And so for me, the name things um, will just be about outwardly showing that we do empower, that we are inclusive, that we are, you know, forward thinking, um, that we do, we appreciate the tradition I think it will open more doors for us. I I truly believe it opens more doors for us and more people will will see what a gift the W is and will know that they are welcome at the W and that 
we we do want them here and and so at the depart at our, at our athletics department again i think that just helps us, helps us when we're trying to reach you know the elite athlete with the elite grades um or just you know just students that want the a little bit of a smaller feel a smaller campus a more intimate connection with their coaches and their faculty members and I think it just helps us to reach more people and they understand what a what a incredible university, a supportive university that we have. So I think it just opens more doors for us and and, and and physically shows that we are inclusive and we want people to come, but it's also tradition rich, you know, as we've been talking. It it it's it, it, you know it's a wonderful university that that works to support all of its students, faculty, staff. So it's 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 really a wonderful place to work, and I just want more people to come because uh, the support they have from their faculty, the deans, um, the staff, the professors, and again from the the cabinet level and the president. It all starts with the president. Um, she leads in a way that you know she's intelligent, passionate. Um, and wants to put us in the best position possible to be successful as, as a as a university and as people. So all starts with her, and so I, I, I trust this leadership and us moving. And and the new name, I think it'll be wonderful. I think it will really make a positive impact. I couldn't agree more. In my subjective opinion, I do think a name change would only open doors. I, I'm with you on that one. Well, before I let you go, you have any final thoughts, Jennifer? I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity. I, I am with you in Division Two and Division Three, um, getting getting the information out there, and, and just hopeful that people will will take a chance and come and watch and come and support and, and be a part of this community as well. There's, you know, there's plenty of love to go around. Just add us to it, you know. Just fill your heart just a little bit more with uh, our teams and our student athletes, our coaches, you know. And then you're going to meet some great people while you're there, uh, from faculty members and other students and other coaches and other administration. And you know, our president comes out to a lot of the games. And I just hope that they'll give us a chance and they'll come out and they'll support us and and they'll see what a really fun environment that we we have and how competitive it is and. And at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is make sure that our students have this incredible experience where they, they get the academic knowledge that they need, the life knowledge that they need to go on and be successful in life and, you know, maybe even transform the lives of their families, the lives of their communities, and then make a positive impact on their world. You know, it's just, it's a great day. So very excited, very, very thankful for this opportunity. For sure. Well, we look forward to covering the W more in depth here at Super Talk. Thanks so much for coming on the program. This has been Jennifer Claybrook, Athletic Director at the W, and we'll be right back with guest number two. Hunter Dawkins is coming up to discuss the coastal connections to Mississippi's two Division II national championships. We're back with From D2 to D3. I'm your host, J.T. Mitchell. And on the other line, we have Hunter Dawkins, publisher of the Gazebo Gazette, what I would consider a Mississippi Gulf Coast football guru. And Hunter wants to talk some D2 and D3 football, but tie it back to the Gulf Coast. First off, Hunter, how are you? Thanks for joining the program. Thank you, J.T. Good morning. And it's always uh, it's always football down here down south, which you know we all love the the fall season when it starts, and, and I can't wait to uh, to get more involved. 
Well, it's in full force, especially on the D2 and D3 landscape. And one of the topics you wanted to talk about when I caught up with you prior to this interview is how the Coast played a role in our two D2 national championships, one of which was 1989 Mississippi College. That was later vacated. Still, it depends on who you ask, counts as a championship. Then in 2000, Delta State won the national championship. So let's just go in chronological order. John Williams was the head coach of that MC team, and he got his start, or at least made a stop, on the Gulf Coast before making his way up north to Clinton. Tell us a little more there. Well, JT, uh, it's very interesting in both of these teams. And like you said about the asterisk that was placed in uh, the 1989, there wasn't any rule made, you know, from what I can decipher, but they, they're they still listed on every, virtually every NCAA, you know, uh, roster, even though, like you said, it was potentially vacated. However, um, you know, looking back, you know, Coach Williams, he was the one of the most successful coaches in Biloxi history, and he was the only coach that went to a completely undefeated team back before 1982 when they created the MHSAA uh, to allow state championships. They used to have what was called the Big Eight and things as such with the big schools and all the rest. Back in 1968, he led a Biloxi team to be an undefeated, and they won the Big 8 South Conference Championship, but which is essentially the state championship of Mississippi football. Then going to, uh, to Mississippi College, you know, having success all the way across the board and uh, the 1989 team, but then after that, he uh, he retired after 1990, and uh, that was it. Uh, but he led them in 1992 to another Big South or a Gulf Conference uh, Division Championship with uh, for Mississippi College. But that was he was a phenomenal head coach. He had a great record. I'm trying to look at the overall record, but every season he had coaching was a, a good winning season. On all levels, I mean, Biloxi, he was a really good coach, as well as at Mississippi College. Violations aside, you talk about the asterisks, and here it says that the issue at hand was he gave double the number of scholarships that the NCAA allowed. Is that how you understand how that went down? That's pretty much, assuredly, what I read into, but the the thing about that, and it's it's really... uh, Ironic is there were numerous schools, and I've you know, even in my own university, Catholic University in Washington D.C., there were numerous scholarships given, not necessarily um, just athletic, but like community scholarships and things as such. And I, I really think the NCAA just maybe had some uh, some problem with the with the Mississippi College program. I'm not saying that that. You know that it you know that it was not illegal to do that action, but I'm sure if you went all across the board at all the teams in uh, in the United States that were Division Two, there were a few more uh, scholarships being offered, you know, than uh, than there were let known to be at least. So, 
and I'm not standing up for Mississippi College because, spoiler here, this was before my time, but we have yeah. seen the NCAA, from what I'd say, mess up when it comes to punishing people. I wasn't there for this team. It was a really good team, 11-3 and overall record. They outscored opponents 376-160. to That's a over 200-point margin. And then they beat Jacksonville State in the D2 National Championship, all led by a guy who coached at Biloxi beforehand and coached well at Biloxi, won a championship down there. Were there any players on that 1989 Choctaw squad that helped them make that championship run? You know, JT, I do know there was a punter from down here uh, and actually went to high school where I did, uh, St. Stanislaus, but a guy named Scott Sinner, who was a punter, and I'm pretty sure certain, I'll have to look at the record books, but I'm pretty certain that he was the punter on that team. Now, I'm not necessarily sure that he played another position, but from what he was a great punter and as well, well appreciated for all his success down here on the Gulf Coast uh, in high school and still talked about regularly. And I'm pretty certain that he went to, he was in the same timeline of that and was probably on the state, on the national championship team. And sometimes on the D2 and D3 side, you do see special teamers play other positions. It's rare, but I played with a kid who was a great punter, but also was arguably a better defensive back. So let's move forward 11 years to Delta State's 2000 National Championship run. Tell us some about the Coastal Connections there. I know it started from the top with head coach Steve Campbell, correct? That's correct, JT. Campbell is you know well-known down here in the the Gulf Coast Junior College level because of the numerous championships that he had led to uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College with only one national championship, but uh, MAC championships, MACC championships. He, he was very well respected. And the, the main reason why he is so well known is not necessarily about his success, but about the number of kids that he got to go places and the number of guys on his coaching staff that he's had being able to develop. Uh, and like you and I talked about, uh, JT, uh, on his 2000 national championship team, you know, there are two or three coaches that are on Division One programs or with not only Division One programs but with head coaching jobs, uh, pretty big-time uh uh, National College Division One football programs. Yeah, I mean, that's what Coach Todd Cooley and I kind of talked about in our conversation in Episode 2 of From D2 to D3. If you want to go back and listen to that, you can find it at supertalk.fm, Spotify, wherever you listen. But we kind of went through that laundry list of great coaches that have come from Delta State. Yes, a phenomenal football program have produced some phenomenal players, but maybe have produced more phenomenal coaches from Ron Roberts, D.C. at Auburn, Pete Golding, D.C. at Ole Miss, Dave Aranda, head coach at Baylor, Mike Bloomberg, head coach at Rice, Jerry Mack, running back coach at Tennessee. There's a couple of guys in the NFL currently, Lanier Gothy and Carl Scott, and that's not even to name all of the high school guys. The Delta State coaching tree is unreal. Absolutely, JT, and it's uh, it, it didn't stop just with the national championship. I mean, as you know, looking at their uh, their uh, berths in the Division Two playoffs, going pretty far and deep 
in 2010, being the runner-up and the semifinalist in 2011. They definitely have a, uh, a great history in football. They do, and I think they'll make another run this year. Um, so back to Campbell. Tell the listeners where Campbell went after winning that national championship at Delta State. Well, he briefly went to a Division One program uh, is the um, Nickel State, uh, correct? Yeah, then that's right. Middle. I was going to say I thought it would be Middle Tennessee State. I wouldn't one hundred percent accurate, but he was the OC then. He uh, went to Central Arkansas as the head coach. Oh, you're right. It is Middle Tennessee State. Yeah, I thought it was something. something he was Nichols earlier in his career. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was the, uh, I think, as, as Nichols has been known down in Thibodeau, is where all the, the coaches go to do their graduate assistant work, and then they either end up in high school or college. But uh, with that being said, um, Campbell, though, went to Central Arkansas being the head coach, and his no-huddle fast speeding offense which was you know remarkable down here nobody had really ever been had ever seen that before and that really helped him develop and he got the first, really a great head coaching job when they made the transition to the uh the football stadiums in south alabama down here in mobile not too far from from me down here on the coast and uh, he he was not necessarily uh Great because they had just joined the Sun Belt Conference and they were having to play uh, some some teams that had pretty much been uh, upper echelon. As, as you've seen the Sun Belt Conference this year and last year, they, they're pretty stout and uh, just did not get off to that much success with that program. But he recruited very differently than anybody else. He was a big time JUCO recruiter and also just a few high schools. But he he wasn't big in the transfer portal. Maybe that was the reason why, but you never really know. You know, we talked to all of these D2 and D3 coaches, and there's two sides of the whole transfer portal thing. Some guys are like, yeah, we need to take full advantage. Look at how it's worked at other schools. Other guys are like, no, we need to be tried and true to high school. And it just depends on who you are, and it can come back and bite you if you don't fill that void of high school year in and year out. Um, and I think Steve Campbell is now a director of high school relations for the Mississippi State football program. I would certainly feel like that would that would be 100%. His son is now the athletic director at uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. Obviously, you know, with a, a good number of success there, and, and they're, uh, they're really appreciative of the Campbell family in general. I did not realize his son is the AD there. That is correct. The more you know. All right, so let's move to current day. What coastal kids are you watching this year, whether it be D2 or D3? Well, from the D2 level, uh, is one of the things that I do all this research on Delta State and Mississippi College, JT, I found out of their the actually classic between those two schools, the Heritage Bell Classic, which is one of the, the longest rivalries among Mississippi schools. And uh, how Delta State was—they're—they're they're ahead of that series pretty well. But uh, then, of course, looking to see uh, the the certain players that they have, Delta State is pretty much predominantly junior college kids. They, you know, a lot of the kids are from Northern or Central Mississippi, but they all went and played down here at uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College or Pearl River. Both of their schools, which are about 30 to 45 minutes away from me, and these kids all being from 
from Meridian, from uh, northern Mississippi, parts like, uh, you know, uh, Tunica, Tupelo, um, your Batesville, your Iucas, who have pretty, pretty strong football cultures. Uh, but a lot of the kids being, you know, from up there, they ended up playing Juco here. Uh, for instance, with Mississippi College, you got kids like uh, Austin Davidson, uh, who was one of the big He played at Gulf Coast. Yeah, he played for Mississippi Gulf Coast. And then your junior defensive back, Jarris McFarlane, who was a, another really successful one, at least uh, in the Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. And, uh, yeah, those are two of the figures that I know of that were at least on the field. Uh, in your Mississippi College, you got, you know, two linemen that were both from Gulfport. And kids, I remember watching at least, um, you know, and they played and they were pretty outstanding. And, and Mississippi College has got a – they got a better high school recruiting atmosphere, but they don't – they're not exactly the same line as Delta State with recruiting from junior college, so – and then at Millsaps, you actually have wide receiver Connor Ladner, who Corey York told us he's hoping will have a big year this season. And he's from your alma mater, St. Stanislaus. Didn't you used to coach right. there as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He, I remember Connor, and he was a great slot receiver. And uh, he definitely definitely put out some numbers. And that's that's what you gotta got to have if you're going to be uh, – if you're going to go play the next level, regardless of if it's D two or D three, you got to see, you got to show that you can play to even have a chance. Yeah, and I think he's had about 17 yards through two games. Given no Millsaps offensive players had a standout game on paper so far this season, but we're hoping for a big one from Connor Ladner this weekend at Suwanee. I'll throw a curveball at you real quick. So before you got into journalism, you were a football coach in a past life. I know you've had multiple past lives. <laughs> Say yeah. you stayed in right. that realm, um, would you have considered coaching D2 or D3 if given the opportunity? You know, it's funny that you asked that, JT. One of my one of my mentors that I coach with at Stanislaus, the, I coached the state championship um, team with back in uh, 2009. He, uh, a year later, well, not the next year, but the year after, he, uh, he left and went to MRA. Madison Ridgeland Academy up there, Forrest Williams, and had pretty successful teams. And a lot of the kids that he had playing for him went to D1 schools. And I think he was briefly offered the Millsaps job. He, of course, then uh, he asked me if, if I would be interested in, you know, coming to coach the O-line. And I really thought about that. Of course, he would have had to accept the job, and then he didn't. But but I would have thought somewhere about that. But that's uh, that's a little bit of stretch, you know, now at least that, that I've, I've gone to journalism life. But I will tell you, JT, I miss coaching. And uh, sometimes, you know, the best – it doesn't necessarily matter what level it is. You know, I go out Saturday morning, usually down here at the recreational field in Pastor Shan and see those, those kids, five, six years old, and I love it. I just love the love of the game because they really – they appreciate the game, and uh, it's something that's, that's true. Coaching, playing, watching, doesn't matter. Football is a great sport, and we're glad to cover it here on From D2 to D3. Final thoughts, sir? Uh, you know, the, the final thoughts of this is that I'm keeping my eyes out with what's going on with the teams all across the board, and 
I've got some got some good uh, relationships up with both teams, and uh, we'll see if we can uh, we can hear what's happening. All right, Hunter. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Some really good insight into these two national championship teams and how they connect back to the lower four counties. Thank you, sir. Take care of yourself, JT. That was Hunter Dawkins, publisher of the Gazebo Gazette. He's also the voice or one of the voices behind the mic every Friday night at Gulfport High School football games. So that about rounds us out for today. Don't forget there are a lot more sports other than just football going on. You've got soccer, volleyball, tennis, cross country. Keep up with all of that on your school's respective website. This has been episode number three of From D2 to D3. I'm your host, JT Mitchell, and we'll see you next week. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services A Super Talk Mississippi media production.